Peak Performance Plus presents the Summit Club Podcast, your business roundtable discussion for sales and business leaders with your host, Bill Stats. My name is Stats, Bill Stats, and you're listening to episode 007 of the Summit Club Podcast. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about high-performance teams. Why is that important? Well, I'm here with the Summit Club team, John, Mr. Feinblatt, JT, and we want to have a discussion about that synergy thing. When I was with Franklin Covey, it's habit number six. How do you get one plus one to equal three? One way is high-performance teams. What do you think, guys? Who wants to kick it off? Well, I'll do that. But by the way, Bill, I always thought one plus one equals three. Is that not right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, let's start with the definition of uh, a high-performance team. A high-performance team is a group of people who share a common vision, goals, metrics, and who collaborate, challenge, and hold each other accountable to achieve outstanding results. They have a clear vision of where they are headed and what they want to accomplish. Probably the greatest high-performance team I was involved with was when I was with a a company, Timberland. And Timberland had a number of licensees. And to market the product, a plan was put together where each licensee would work together with the other licensees and call on retailers together. So we would show up as a team with different product categories and work with retailers. it was, it was a tremendous opportunity to save the retailer time, present a total package of products, and, and most importantly, be able to create advertising and merchandising solutions, one place, one time, one meeting. The individual who uh, ran this was one of the fellow licensees who actually put together a group of six different licensees to make this happen. It was one of the things that really led Timberland to becoming a a head-to-toe brand back in the 1990s and really lead the company into the forefront of outdoor fashion at that time. That's really interesting. You know, Rick, I'm really glad you're doing teams and not math because if you really (laughs) thought that one plus one equals three, we're all in trouble. Over the years, working with many different teams, um, from Crayola, to Hewlett-Packard, to small real estate companies, the common themes seem to always center around uh, caring for each other, meaning it's more than just a job and having some, I want to say, personal aspect to the team where people actually enjoy being together. Um, I've had client companies that once a month sales team or customer service team or even together sales and customer service would do some social things together because they really enjoyed being with each other and accountability and some of the things I I know Rick you're going to be pointing out today uh, that are so critical for a high performance team they really cared about each other and they cared about being accountable for helping everybody grow together and uh, anybody that's ever played sports you know, even golf now, they have their own uh, dietitian and their own uh, 
flexibility coach or whatever. It just seems that the winners understand the value of a team and a team that really plays well together. Many moons ago, I was involved with a different agency back when I was working inside, and the agency had to do a global expedited launch for a pharmaceutical product. Traditionally, a launch in pharma is always the biggest thing to do for an agency, but this was expedited, so it's done in half the time. So the FDA said, this is that good of a product, it's gotta go sooner. So for anybody in the agency world, this is the test that you have. And we had to do that test in half the time. And this was a situation where we had about 40 different printed products, you know, sales sheets, binders, CD-ROMs, websites, you name it, going out the door. And all of that had to be done in several languages because it was a global launch. And the team that was put together at that time was very, very strong. Everybody had their individual talents. Everybody could multitask a little bit. So there was a little bit of healthy overlap. And if somebody got too deep in the weeds on one project, they can say, hey, I need some help. Somebody else could jump in. And we even had the social aspects. In the middle of the uh, 80-hour work weeks, we found time to go out for lunch here and there. If we had um, an early night, go out to the bar, have a couple drinks, and just blow off some steam. It was um, a very effective team. And it just, for as awful as it was going through the ringer of that launch, the team that was set up just makes the memory of it a lot lot more fond. (laughs) This is our team. And for me, as a, quote, host, uh, our team is comprised of people that I've known for years and shared experiences with. And, and that's why I think, from my perspective, our team works so well together. And it's interesting because I think I know the company that you're talking about that you were with before. I may not, but I think I do, John. And my recollection from having that creative company as a client, creative was on one half of the floor with a small doorway (laughs) and the rest of sales and marketing and management and client relations and everything was on the other side. And each side was like their own club. And I was an outsider. I had to walk very gingerly through that doorway into an area where everybody on one side was heads down, just the creative folks are all grinding it out. And on the other side, everybody's heads up and talking to each other or whatever. And it really is interesting just as putting a microscope on something to what you were saying. Everybody can pull together. They might have their own partitions, but uh, it all breaks down when the work calls for it. Absolutely. It's interesting. I mean, I think that uh, you know it if you're working on a high-performance team, but my experience uh, is that uh, there aren't, you don't find them everywhere. Uh, It's a a special relationship and a special group, and uh, it's something I do think you can uh, work at if you're on a team, but it takes a lot of cooperation and a lot of work. But, uh, you know, um, more often than not, a lot of the teams I've experienced are not high-performance teams. A lot of them are dysfunctional. They don't get along. Uh, I've always said to my kids, if you, you know, if you work uh, for somebody or in a group uh, and you have like one or two good experiences throughout your life, consider yourself uh, lucky because oftentimes people you talk to, they tell you about what they're doing and where they're working and you just sit there and shake your head and boy, uh, it, it's, it's just not a great situation. Sure. So I'm sure all of you have had uh, some experiences with some teams that aren't, you know, high performance. Absolutely. For those of you that are listening right now, One of the things that our team talked about before we turned 
the recording uh, equipment on, was these topics tend to migrate or lead to certain applications like we're talking about a high performance team. Well, how do you manage a high performance team? Or if you're part of the team, how do you be the best team player? And, you know, we're talking to all of you from Philadelphia. And when you look at our terrific baseball team, uh, you go to a game and, you know, I haven't talked to, to John or JT or Rick about it specifically, but you look out at the field when the Phillies are, are in the field, they have a thousand yard stare in their eyes, kind of like, oh, well, here we go again. And it's a leadership issue to even the most casual observer. There's like something not holding these guys all together. And it's really hard to do it. This player, that player, they'll have little fragmented relationships, but the team isn't being pulled together by leadership. So keep that in mind. We'll give you some cues as to other programs, podcasts that we'll be doing to help you see the 360 degree resources that are going to be available to you to make the most of the information we're trying to provide. It's funny you mentioned that uh, as, as Rick was going through, you know, a lot of the aspects of, of, of a team and so forth, what always comes to my mind is leadership. And I know this is a segue to what you're talking about, the 360 degree view. Leadership is what's going to take those different doorways within an organization, different personalities, bring them together and focus the goal. And I mean, Bill, you do it for us. I mean, we've, we've got four of us that, that sit around here with different experiences and lots of different ideas and thoughts, but you keep us focused every week when we sit down and, and create a new podcast. So your leadership is a brilliant example of what we're talking about. And you bring that up, having been with the Covey organization, habit number one is begin with the end in mind. I mean, it's so much easier, whether it's putting together or improving the dynamics on a team. What, what are we trying to accomplish here? And make sure every player, every contributor understands where we want to go and why we want to go there. What's the purpose? And are there values and principles supporting that purpose? It sounds really complicated. But it's not. It's uh, pretty fundamental if you're going to work in a real team and not just um, a work group where everybody's doing their thing, but you all do it together. Shall we, uh, since we've sort of uh, alluded to this, talk about some of the characteristics of a high-performance team? Uh, Ken Blanchard, who's written over 60 books, his most famous one was One Minute Manager, uh, uses an acronym, PERFORM, to describe seven characteristics of a high-performance team. I'll just read them to you and then we'll go back and uh, talk about each one individually. Uh, the first one is purpose and values. The second one is empowerment, relationships and communication, flexibility, optimal productivity, recognition and appreciation, and morale. So Bill, you want to kick us off with a little discussion about purpose and value? Well, and you know, that goes back to begin with the end in mind. You know, I think everybody has to have a common orientation as to what needs to be done, why it needs to be done, and uh, and how does each person buy in, if you will, to uh, that common thread that's going to drive the performance forward. It doesn't have to be complicated. It could be, you know, a couple words written on a piece of paper, 
or on a PowerPoint slide or an email or a text, but somewhere, somehow, you know, people have to be able to see it, hear it, um, accept it, and what I would call internalize it. Can't just be going through the motions. That's the way I would look at it, Rick. Mm -hmm. the, the, the empowerment here is probably as important as anything. Once you understand where you're trying to get to, each member of the team has to understand that there's a role and they're empowered to fulfill the roles of the team. Uh, there's no bad ideas. You know, in the initial phases, everybody's ideas, thoughts are important. They should be empowered to share those. And once you begin to define and refine the end uh, result that you're looking for, everybody should be empowered and given the responsibility to fulfill that mission. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, years ago, I worked on an inherited sales team. Uh, and I remember the first time one of the salesmen came in and he had uh, you know something he needed to get done with his client, fulfill a request. So he ate, uh, laid out all the outline of their needs and all their specs and all that and he looked at me and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I looked at him and I said, well, what, do, what do you want to do? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, it's your client. I mean, what do you think we should do? If you don't know him better than me, uh, what, what, you know, why are you even here? And he said, well, the person that had the job before you, this is what we did. We brought in everything. He told us what we wanted to do, and then we went out and did it. I said, well, we're not going to do that anymore. I said, you go back to your office, you figure out what you think you'd want to do, and then let's come in here and, and discuss it. And it wasn't that he or the rest of the team weren't capable. They, they just never operated that before. So when you're talking about empowerment, I think you have a team that is really invested in what they do. And they have, you know, uh, input, and they get feedback. Ultimately, it becomes a much, much better team. And everybody, every member of the team operated the same way he did. But in a very, very short period of time, we sort of turned that around. And I think it was more fulfilling for them. And I think, uh, from my perspective anyway, we were much, much more productive. It sounds to me like what you were doing was empowering people to think and act, right? As opposed to react after you did all the thinking. Right, right. Yeah. Far different concept. Right. Well, the truth is I had no idea what to do. So, <laughs> and I don't want to be responsible, so I just figured I'll let them figure it out and uh, I can blame them later. You so, know, it's uh, funny when, when you guys were just talking about that, I'm thinking about permission. But lots of times we assume, you know, that thing it makes an ass out of you and me, assume. We assume that people know, well, you can do that. You, and they don't know, no, either don't from know. history or their personality, They're, they have a, a confidence issue maybe, but sometimes you really have to give them permission. It's, you've got the opportunity here, go back and figure out what you want to do and then we'll talk about it. Right. Yeah. And even in a selling situation, give the prospect permission to tell you. This is terrible. I wouldn't buy this if you were the only guy that I ever talked to. Because sometimes they feel reluctant to take a chance and be honest with it. And I think that's part of it too. Get your people to be honest with you. Give them permission to tell you uh, that's not a good idea from my standpoint. Yeah. You know, well, I'm sure we all have had the experience where you're working for somebody uh, who wants to tell you what to do, and they tell you what to do, and you're sitting there thinking. This is never going to work, but I'm not going to, you know, uh, he doesn't care about my opinion, so I'm just going to go out and do it, and we'll deal with it after the fact, because there's no upside in getting him mad at me. 
right. just you know do what he says, do what he says, let it fail, you know. and then go from there. Or yeah. sometimes don't do it and don't say anything, and then it's like, did you take it? Oh no, I was too busy. It's like I'm avoiding. So I don't buy in. I think it's really dumb, <laughs> but I'm not telling them. I'm just not doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about it. Your salespeople are out in the street interacting with clients. I don't care even if you're a manager that gets out as you should way more than you. So it's real easy to sit in an office and bark orders at people and tell them what to do, even those expectations are unrealistic. If you listen to the people who work for you, it gives you a better understanding of, of clients' needs and I think it allows you to do a, a better job in uh, you know, fulfilling those needs. Well, that probably is a perfect segue into relationships and communication. Yep, yeah, I know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, uh, high-performance teams uh, really get along with one another well. They have great relationships, and that's not really something you can fake. I mean, it's either really there or, or, or it's not there. And communications in, in all aspects of high performance, I mean, you, you can't communicate enough. A lot of people think they do, but but if you're not talking to their people, your people, and actually listening to what they're telling you, um, you, you know, you're not really communicating. Uh, you're not going to have a strong relationship, and as a result of that, you're really not going to have uh, a high-performance team. It's funny when you say that one of the best teams I ever played on was um, for a time period when I was in the military. I was in the Air Force, and I worked for the youngest general in the Air Force at the time. I would get This was before voicemail acceptance and stuff. I would get those little pink slips that you could buy in a spiral book and it would automatically make a copy when you wrote a note on there and you pull the top one off and I'd get these things when I came in and to, to my area in the morning, my office. My boss would have written up there the time of day, It'd be 2.48 in the morning or whatever. With him saying notes that he thought about something, he was a stickler for communication. It's like, now, I know he kept that copy in the spiral book, so you'd say, if I don't hear from stats by noon, I'm going to kill him, you know? But it didn't matter what time of day, if he felt it was important to what we were trying to accomplish, he'd write that little note. I'd get it, it'd be on my desk the next morning. Now technology can make that a lot easier, and I'm not suggesting people have to get up in the middle of the night. You're only going to be as organized as your ability to manage yourself. And whether you're on the leadership end of of a high-performance team or whether you're a team member, got to master yourself and make sure that you understand this perform. And we're just talking about the relationships, the R part, relationships and communication, really important. Next one up is flexibility. And that essentially is where your team has individual strengths and individual jobs, but they also have an overlap with extra skills or just a, a, a work ethic that is able to transcend what their individual job is. You can't have a football team with everybody walking on building the quarterback. It, it's not going to end well at all. Um, you got to have all these different positions that soon as somebody says hike, it all goes. Everybody does their own part. Now, meanwhile, if something goes awry during the play, this is where the overlap happens, where maybe um, somebody at a free safety or somebody, they can really run. 
or there's an opening and hey, you know what, they can catch pretty well too, so they go to make the, the audible aspect of that play, that's where that, that starts to work. The other part about the flexibility is nobody is too big for their role in a task. That could be something where if there's a very mundane part of a project that has to happen and you know it's really beneath me but nobody is too big and they say you know what I, I, that's not my job that doesn't happen in a well-performing team in a well-performing team when that opportunity or challenge comes up one or more people will stand up and say you know what I'll take care of that don't worry about it and then it is taken care of and everybody moves on you know what's funny when you mention that I'm thinking cross-training I'm just thinking okay look Flexibility means so-and-so is not here or so-and-so the Eagles on Sunday just got hurt in the first series. Now what? Readers, all of a sudden somebody doesn't show up or somebody gets sick or whatever. And they go, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't. To me, that's like flexibility up close and personal. Look, I can't figure out why the first team practices with Carson Wentz the whole week and nobody else. And three receivers get hurt and he's not used to playing with the other receivers. It's like, okay, wait, 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 wait. How many times does this have to happen, including the quarterback getting hurt and the replacement or the cross-trained person doesn't know how to do that job? So if you're going to be on a high-performance team, you better have the flexibility to know more about all the responsibilities going on around you. I think it's a great point, John. I also think with flexibility, you know, uh, you're working on the team, whether it's high performance or not, you put together a goal and objectives, and you you try to accomplish them, um, but they're not working. And we've all worked places, I've worked places where whoever's in charge is like, well, no, that's what we're doing, and we're going to keep doing it. And you look at that and you think, no, this is not working, There's, it's not the end of the world, Let's change what we're doing, let's change our direction, and let's fix this now. Because I'd rather get it right than have my plan, me stick to my plan even though it's not working. So uh, high performance teams are really flexible, they're adaptable, and if they're trying something and it's not working, they don't waste a lot of time thinking about it. They go, okay, well that's not, that, that's not working, okay, let's try this, let's adapt it a little bit differently. So, you know, go ahead. Well, one of the aspects of flexibility is, as a team member or a teammate, you may end up doing a task that A, isn't your core competence, or B, is something you really don't want to do. And I'll give you a personal example. I sit on a board of a, a small local organization, and we had an emergency meeting. So the chairman uh, calls everybody in, not everybody could make it on short notice, and he notices that our recording secretary is not present. And first order of business is to ask who would like to be the recording secretary for this meeting. The silence went on for about 30 <laughs> seconds with no response. And finally, I, I said, let me take care of it only because I had an obligation and had to move the meeting along. So it was something I didn't particularly want to do and a responsibility I'm not particularly good at but it had to be done to move that project forward. So be prepared. You're not always going to do something you love, and it's not always going to be your core competence, but that's being a good teammate. So, you know, JT, interesting. I have a client right now. We all know that it's a tough recruiting environment. They're trying to find uh, a new team 
member and the leader is struggling. He's got two regional managers. He's not using the regional managers. And it's like, I'm going to send him a text saying, are you using so-and-so and so-and-so to help you find the candidate? Because number one, it's a learning experience for them. And number two, it's leverage. You get more push, if you will. It's like double teaming. Let's triple team. Let's have three people. And to me, that's flexibility in a high-performance team. I need help over here. Pull one of the team players. Doesn't have to be the leader orchestrating it. It could be two team members saying, can you help me out with this? Because I'm getting behind or I'm stuck. Communication, flexibility, uh, the relationship you have. I mean, it, it almost goes back and stacks up every one of these elements to support the next one. You know, the next subject that makes sense, and it follows along with Ken Blanchard's PERFORM acronym, is optimal productivity. This requires some expectation and definition. Uh, Again, going back to where we started, Bill mentioned, begin with the end in mind. Well, when you begin with the end in mind, one of the things you have to be willing and ready to do is measure your productivity along the way. And we've already talked about some of the ways you optimize productivity. Yes, you've got to empower. Yes, you've got to use your relationships and communications. Yes, you have to be flexible. You know, these are these are the tools that we've already discussed that are going to allow you to create the optimum productivity that you need for your team to perform. I hear resources. When you say that, the first thing I think about is with a team, do they have the tools they need to hit the goal, to achieve the objective? And sometimes everybody wants more, but in our world right now, ROI, return on investment, looks like more from less. So has the team really acknowledged and committed to the goal with the resources we have? And if not, how are we going to find the resources we need? I have to really build on that, Bill. Um, one of the strong things that we do over at, at my agency, there is no answer containing, I don't know how to do that. And when we sit down to do any task as a team, if somebody hits that wall that I'm not sure how to do that, well, the first thing we do, we have a um, lynda.com, which is a, a great online resource for anybody looking to learn any any skills, whether it's software or even uh, some management even, we have a license for that for the agency. And anybody at any point in time, if they have downtime at work, if they are even at home, they can log on and learn anything they want to learn. But more specifically, where it comes to uh, optimizing the team and a task at hand, if somebody says, all right, this is on my plate, I don't know how to do it, we'll just say, well, this is where it lives online, take two hours and go learn it. And the same point where if we're building something, say we're building a website or something more specific, we're not going to have somebody burn five, six hours of our time and yet alone five, six hours of burning a client's time when they can say, all right, we're just gonna buy this widget for 150 bucks and it's done. Work smarter, not harder. And I think that's a great way to optimize your team where no one's spinning their wheels just because they don't wanna put their raise their hand and say they have an issue all the resources are there, or even you have to buy resources for your team to make sure that they don't have to do any pit stops. Funny, that takes us back to one of our previous points, empowerment. Yes. 
It's going to be interesting as we work through this to see how all of these different points, every part of this acronym perform, is going to contribute to optimizing productivity. Well, you know, we talk about all these ingredients coming together, Rick, that you've laid out based on Blanchard, and we're at the R again where it's recognition and appreciation, and it's the one thing that I see lacking so often in a team environment is, do you folks celebrate when you win? Is it, does anybody get excited, and are there any recognition uh, you know, opportunities or whatever, and you get a kind of a stare, and it's like, huh? It's like, no, we we only get yelled at when things to go wrong. You know, I mean, it's like what a way to run a run a team. Um, it, it means so much if you just say to somebody, even in passing, "Hey, nice job." I mean, uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, and may, may not you may not think it means much, but it means an awful lot to those people. And, and to, as to Bill's point. <clears throat> Yeah, when all you're doing is getting told what you're doing wrong, uh, and you never think you're doing anything right, it doesn't make for a work environment that's uh, particularly uh, productive. How many times have we seen companies that think the only reward is financial, when so often recognition and appreciation can be more important to an individual's growth and happiness than financial? You guys are like right on the top of the mountain when it comes to this because I see it all the time. I think generally, I hate to generalize, people are stroke deprived. They, they would love somebody, somewhere, somehow to acknowledge the fact they're doing a good job because most of the time the strokes they get are negative strokes. Why'd you do that? What were you thinking? Stroke give them a stroke and everybody should know we're not talking about a cerebral hemorrhage here we're, we're talking about a compliment and uh, you know you, you there's more than one kind there's a functional compliment where it's job well done and then there's a compliment that hits your self-confidence your self-esteem where somebody doesn't tie it to a specific thing you've done they tie it to your core and they say you know what I'm really glad you're here the power is unbelievable. Yeah, to your point, you're talking about um, you know income. Uh, some of the recent studies about millennials will tell you that not that it's not important. Um, you know, they want to make money like everybody else, but there's some other things that are that are almost equally important or more important to them than just income alone. So if you're just sitting there going, well, well, he or she's they're making a lot of money, so that's that's all they need. Uh, that's not all they need. Uh, everybody loves to get stroked once in a while. Yeah. Hey, I may be jumping the gun here, but M is the last letter in our acronym, and that's morale. Isn't this what we're talking about? Yeah, it really comes down that the team feels genuinely involved in the outcome. They're not just there punching the card from nine to five, I made X amount of dollars, time to go home and get on with the rest of my life. Everybody's invested. Nobody's phoning it in. Everybody wakes up in the morning, comes to work, and they're actually excited about what they can contribute to making this goal happen for their own growth as well as the growth of the company they're working for. The morale is the primary ingredient to motivation and performance. 
obviously recognition and appreciation is going to be top on that list. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, people talk about motivation. And lots of times we assume that people should come up with ideas to motivate their team. My belief is you can't motivate anybody else. They got to motivate themselves. All you can do is provide the right environment for them to internalize that and be excited about what they're doing. Because you know what? In spite of all the things you think you can do to motivate them, tomorrow morning when that alarm goes off, 6.30, 6.15, 6.45, 7.30, it doesn't matter. And they put their feet on the floor. It's all up to them. <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, everybody listening to this right now, you've had that day. You've been a part of the good day. You've been a part of the bad day. It's bad when it's every day, though. Yeah. It's notorious for the people that are have their head down, that are just cranking stuff out. It's it's a really brutal industry. And I'm sure everybody else here can <coughs> parallel that with, with their own things. But it's brutal. And it's dog-eat-dog. Dog, and there are... For every place that's a great place to, to work, there's easily 40 to 50 other ones that are just get me the hell out of this place. Yeah. And whenever Brutal. I get home, I'm working on my resume, you know, and it, it's really hard. Um, and the morale of the shop greatly contributes to that. I mean, I've been at a place I, where I've watched a writer, he literally had a nervous breakdown because, you know, it was just the only attention was the bad attention. And it was just an awful, awful place to be. And it was a revolving door of talent. So if you're a manager listening to this, you know, and you're wondering why every 30 days someone's putting a resume in, you know, well, maybe it's not the team. Maybe it's you running the team. Yeah. I worked uh, one of the places I, I, I recently worked. Um, after a 30-day anniversary for every new employee, regardless of what they did, I called them to my office. Uh, now, I know that trip down, they were scared to death because... Some of them I hadn't met yet, and some of them, you know, you have to get called to the boss's office, it's not a good thing. And after I calmed down, I just said to him, listen, you've been here for 30 days. Um, is this place, you know, what you thought it was going to be? You know, is this fulfilling your expectations? I didn't think I was going to get a lot of feedback from him because everybody's apprehensive about really saying anything. But every person I ever did it with thanked me for taking the time to at least sit down and speak to them, which was my goal to start with. So again, it doesn't take a lot you know, to, to make people comfortable and make people happy. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's one of the first things that's overlooked. Absolutely. Well, folks, we're going to have at least one more and maybe two more installments of you, if you will, to support high-performance teams. Stay tuned. Look for the next one as it comes out shortly. Your Summit Club team says, see you next time. Cheers to all of you out there as a real team member contributor. Team says goodbye. Take it easy. Take it easy. To learn more about the Summit Club podcast, please find us online at www.summitclubpodcast.com. The Summit Club podcast is recorded and produced by Inertia Marketing and Design, a full-service marketing, digital, and graphic communications agency. You can find them at www.inertia.marketing. Thanks for listening to the Summit Club podcast, and we'll see you at the top.